0: Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you're a God who is gracious and compassionate, who's abounding in steadfast love, Lord, that we are um, sinners desperately in need of your grace. And so, Father, as we come to you today, we do so recognizing that uh, it is only by your Spirit working in us that we can be transformed. And so I pray Uh, no matter where we're at, Lord, uh, that we would recognize this morning areas where we need to grow, that we would be encouraged by your faithfulness, encouraged by your word, and Lord, equipped to go out and be the church you've called us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, how many of you growing up or maybe at some point in your life have heard the song, the B-I-B-L-E? Oh, everyone's (laughs) like, yeah. Okay, now we're going to test your knowledge, okay? I'm going to start you and see if you can sing it, okay? the. Yes! I was so hoping someone would yell, Bible! That was my favorite part growing up as a kid. Because it was the only time during singing I was allowed to yell. (laughs) But the reality is, so this is something that, if you've grown up in the church, is generally ingrained in us from very young. And the importance of the Bible is something we talk about a lot here. And every Sunday we sit and we open up the Bible. We open up the scriptures and, and... My desires I've communicated multiple times is not that you would be hearing my opinion, but that you would be hearing God's word Right, because ultimately it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't even really don't take this wrong way. It doesn't matter what you think But it matters what God says And Ultimately when we come back to a place of of opening the Bible, we should first start with a a series of questions Ultimately, what do we believe about the Bible? And during this series of talks, we started this last week, and it's going to go for 10 weeks. Um, We're going through each point of our statement of faith as a church. And all that is, is it is a summary of what we believe. About the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about who we are as the church, about the future, all of these things. And the reason that this is important that we cover this and talk about this is because otherwise it just sits on a wall somewhere and... Everyone who's coming here is saying well, I like what they teach and I I might like how the service goes on Sunday And I'm involved and I I, I really enjoy the people or whatever it may be But ultimately what binds us together is what we believe is true And when we look at scripture, we understand that what ultimately binds us together is Christ We're united in Christ. Okay, everyone say in Christ Christ and so, the second point of the statement of faith. Last week we talked about God, and it was a challenge. There's a lot there, but we summarized in, in essence. Um, this is this is what we believe about God according to His Word. And today's statement is focused on the Bible. And so, I'm going to have that statement up here. And this second statement says we believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of His will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Now that's our second statement as a church body, okay? And my desire today is to walk through this and help you to see. From Scripture, where did this come from? Where is this from at all? Now, specifically, I'm going to do something a little different today. Normally, I will go through my message, and then at the very end, I will give you the application. Well, this morning, I'm actually going to start with the application, and we're going to unpack what that is according to what the statement says. And according to this statement, the next slide will show you that the last section of this is the application. Therefore, It, being the Bible, is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Now, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to open up to three different passages in Scripture, and I'm going to have various people, if uh, someone wants to read, I'm going to grab this microphone, and uh, we're going to read these passages, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about evidences for the reliability of Scripture, and then we're going to unpack that some more. So, First passage of Scripture, Hebrews 4, 12, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13. And you can see the other two passages we're going to go to. So if you really want to read a passage of Scripture, you can look up the next one. Okay? Someone want to read Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13 this morning? Hebrews 4. Hebrews
1: 4, 12 and 13.
0: Verses 12 through 21. Second Peter 1. Who would like to read that? I'm coming to you, Daryl.
1: Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir ye up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we made the prophetic word made no more sure to what you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God.
0: Okay. So these two passages, and we're going to read the next one. First, you have the statement that the Word of God is living and active. Everyone say, living and active. It's a pretty profound statement. There's no other book that I know of that claims to be living, all right? And though we may see action amongst people who read it, the claim of the book itself saying it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that no one is hidden from God's sight. And then the second passage, focusing specifically on, on Peter essentially defending and saying, look, we didn't make this stuff up. We were there. We witnessed it. We saw it. And we are sharing this with you because not only is it something we believe, it's something we saw with our own eyes and know to be true. Those are two pretty profound claims. Now this third passage makes yet another one. So Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17.
1: All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work.
0: Okay. How much Now now remind me here. According to that, how much of scripture is God-breathed? All. Everyone say all. Okay, that's another profound claim, not some Not the parts that we like, not just pieces, not just the words of Jesus, okay? But all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, when we come to passages of Scripture like this, one of the first questions that we would be wise to ask is, according to that last statement and the first point of application, do we believe in all that it teaches? Do we believe in all that it teaches? And for many people, they follow that question with, how can we know that the Bible is reliable? How can we know that the Bible is reliable? Um, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, how can we know? And what I want to walk through with you is ultimately this reality that if we can identify what the Bible says about itself, we're prone to first ask, should we trust what the Bible says? And the reality is, church, if we can trust what the Bible says, the implications of that on our lives are profound and vast. In other words, if the, the words in this book are truly God-breathed, if they are truly God's Word Himself, then every one of us will stand before God and give an account for how we listened to His words. And it changes the dynamic, because then it is no longer just me reading a book to you, it is God's Word spoken to you, and that's something that I want to follow. And so I want to give you real kind of summary here of several reasons that we can trust the words of scripture. Okay? And the first there's there's really two areas of thought in this. And so you guys are you're fortunate you're going to get like an a minor apologetics class today, and I'm excited about that. So, you have two two specific things. You have extra biblical evidence and you have A biblical evidence itself. And the first area we're going to look at is extra biblical evidence. And what this means is these are proofs for the reliability of scripture that exists outside of the pages itself. All right. This is something I love talking with people about, especially people who have not been exposed to any type of theology, any type of church teaching. These are really interesting things to process. And so the first extra-biblical evidence that I'm going to share with you is something called manuscript evidence. Manuscript evidence. Now, how many of you, just out of curiosity, have heard this term before? Has anybody heard this term before? Okay, I've got just a few. Well, I'm really excited that after today, all of you will have heard this. This is something, me personally, I did not hear until I was at Bible college. Okay? And uh, I desire that I would equip you so that even though you may not go to Bible college, you would be equipped with the same theological training. That's that's something I pray for often. And so manuscript evidence is the process by which a historical document becomes reliable. It's the process by which historians and people go through to check and check again to see, can we actually verify that this is accurate or sound? And they do this not just with the Bible. This is true of any history document that they find or collect when they're doing uh, archaeological research or anything else. And so I'm going to put this slide up here and show you something. This is kind of a breakdown, and I'll explain this to you. On the left-hand side, you have the specific authors, historical authors that we know of. We have the books mentioned that these people authored or wrote. We have the date that it was approximately written historically. And then we have the date of the earliest copy. The next column summarizes and basically does the math and says, this is the gap of time that happened between the original writing and the earliest copy that took place. And then the far right side shows the number of copies discovered for that specific document. Now what you will begin to see here is that in instances, and I could give you about seven other historical names and the same figures here, what you find is that for individuals like Homer, Plato, and Caesar, how many of you have heard of these guys? All right, most of us will have heard of these guys. Their writings were written 800 B.C., 400 B.C., 100 to 44 B.C., but then recognized when the earliest copies of these documents were found. And you start to see the gaps between this, this 400 year gap, 1300 year gap, 1000 year gap, and then you start to see the number of copies that are, have been discovered. Now, granted, this, these specific statistics were taken several years ago, so there, there may be more in each of these categories. But regardless of that, I want you to consider for a second the comparison between those and that of the New Testament. New Testament estimated to be written down in A.D. 50 to 100. And I, I'm going to share these numbers with you because I tried to fit them all in, but it's really small. So what I have there, under the earliest copies, they found fragments of the New Testament as early as 114 A.D. So right about 50 years after it was authored, they found um, books At 200 A.D., they found an almost complete manuscript of the New Testament in 250 and a fully complete manuscript by 325. Now, understand this, that that means the longest gap for the New Testament, the pages of the New Testament, was only 225 years. And combine that with the fact that there have been discovered over 5,800 copies of the New Testament manuscript. And that is only the original Greek language it was penned in. If you combine all the other languages and copies over about a 300 year span after it was written, there's over 24,000 copies of the New Testament manuscripts. Now, this is what is commonly referred to as manuscript evidence, because as we often see Homer, Plato, Caesar, and other historians taught, even in our schools, there's not really any question about the reliability of these documents. Well, what historians can't refute is that there is an overwhelming support of the same manuscript evidence for the Bible, far beyond all these other historical figures. So it poses the question, if I have that much manuscript evidence, what do I believe about the Bible? Okay? Now the next thing under extra-biblical evidence is archaeological evidence. You can do studies, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but you can do studies and see where archaeologists have unearthed historical places that fit with what Scripture has talked about. It's not just something that has been made up. They found seals and artifacts from kings that are talked about in the Old Testament. They found cities and places the Bible talks about. So it wasn't that just the Bible was making up this story with made up places and people. There is actual physical evidence that these people and places existed. It's archaeological evidence. And the third extra-biblical evidence that we still see many times today is changed lives. And the amount of people that are profoundly impacted by the words in this book in a way that transforms them. You could ask many people here how the, the words of Scripture and the truth about who God is has transformed their life. And while you may be able to find a few stories like that related to other writings throughout history... I would challenge you to find one that has more stories of true, authentic life transformation than the pages of Scripture. Now, the second thing, when we're asking the question, um, how can we know? Everyone say, how can we know? Is biblical evidences. And this is looking at the Bible, the structure of the Bible itself, and all that it encompasses, all that it's made up to be. And the first point of this is something called literary consistency. That is the consistency of the books as a whole that make up the Bible. And the next slide is going to show you the breakdown of this. Okay, Um, sixty-six books, or sorry, sixty-six books, forty different writers, over fifteen hundred years, one big story about God's plan. Now I want you to consider how many other resources written over that span of time are going to hold the same accuracy consistently. Here's an illustration. How many of you guys have played that really entertaining game called telephone? You know what I'm talking about? Where you have a a line of people stand up over here and you give them a one phrase and they have to whisper it down the line and by the time it gets over here It's something completely chaotic. Now I ask, how is it that we can't pass one sentence down a line of seven people accurately, but Scripture highlighting events that go clear back over a 1500 year period can maintain the accuracy that it does? Now when you look at that, that's called literary consistency. In other words, there's consistent narrative throughout Scripture that doesn't conflict with... The other areas of Scripture. And when you consider not only that, but that there were 40 different people that were writing these words down, that's a profound influence upon our thinking of can we rely on Scripture. The second thing is called prophetic consistency. In other words, are the prophecies, the predictions in the Old Testament, accurate with what the New Testament says? And There's some interesting figures here I'm going to show you because I love this stuff. The odds of one person, okay, fulfilling eight Old Testament prophecies is 10 to the 16th power. Okay? That's one person fulfilling eight. Here's another one. The odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is 10 to the 157th power. Now, the next slide is going to show you what that number looks like, because I like... (sighs) Okay? There are estimated to be between 200 and 400 specific prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, even if you were a skeptic and came to me and said, well, are all 200 to 400 really a fulfillment? Okay, lower it by 100 and still look at the odds. Okay? And I want us to think about that when it comes to the reliability of Scripture. Several, and I'll I'll show this to you, there's several, these are just a, a few, so six. Passages that if you go to these and you read them you could see directly the ties and the specific descriptions of how this lines up with the life And death and resurrection of jesus And some of these passages are so profound like isaiah 53 That describes in great detail something that didn't happen for 700 years How many of you right now can tell me something that's going to happen even 50 years from now and be spot on? There's something unique about the pages of Scripture in this. It's prophetic consistency. The third thing under biblical evidences is eyewitness accounts. And that is even in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read this for you because Paul talks about this specifically when he's referring to the resurrection of Christ and all that Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received... Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, I want you to take into account how many people are listed there that Jesus appeared to. And why would Paul bother saying to them, most of these people are still alive? He's implying to them, don't just take my word for it. Go to all these other people. Ask them. Now, again, we could argue that Based on the telephone game, if this was just some story corroborated amongst a bunch of people, then by the time you went to about five or six of those eyewitness accounts, quote unquote, their stories might conflict. They'd probably be different. And there's no evidence that that was the case anywhere. In fact, the apostles were willing to die for this. They were willing to be, many of them, sacrificed, mutilated for what they believed What does that say about what they knew to be true? Eyewitness accounts. So then, if we determine that the text of the Bible is reliable, what do we believe about what the Bible says? And back to these application points specifically, the first one was, do we believe all that it teaches? And the second one, well, with that, back up. We, do we believe all that it teaches? I want to share with you just some specific statements from Scripture about what we believe regarding the Bible. First thing, we believe at Ephraim, at the Evangelical Free Church of Canton, we believe that the Bible is fully inspired by God. Fully inspired. Everyone say fully. Okay, 2 Timothy three sixteen and seventy that we read, all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is not just man creating this. It's breathed out by God. Second Peter 1 that we read. And Peter said, we didn't just make this stuff up. We saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. All scripture is breathed out by God. So we believe that the Bible is fully inspired by God. That is, God, God authored it. God spoke and people penned his words specifically. We believe that the Bible is without error. That is, we believe, based on the last point, that if these are God's word, that God is infinitely perfect and without error. Therefore, his word is perfect and without error. Now, some of you would go, well, wait a minute. How can we know that to be sure? Well, I'm going to show you two passages up here. Titus 1. Says Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ. Another passage in Hebrews chapter 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible, everyone say impossible, for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, some people come to that and they say, yeah, but it's human, human people penned it. And we're with sin, right? We're all sinners. Everyone say we're all sinners. And here's something that I read this last week that really helped me grasp this even better. And this quote said that, isn't the Bible also the product of human authors? Isn't error inextricably bound up with humanity? We contend that just as Jesus was fully human and yet without sin, so the scriptures can be a fully human product and yet still be a fully divine product. Kept from all error in a mysterious yet wonderful way, the Bible is God's word expressed in and through the words of human authors. This is a powerful statement. To consider what we believe about Jesus Why is it somehow outside of the expanse of who God is to work through people to bring about something that is clearly of Him? And isn't this what God does? He uses, uh, side note, God loves using broken, sinful people to accomplish His purposes. Why does He do that? Everyone say, why does He do that? Because then He gets the glory, not us. He gets the glory, not us. We believe the Bible is fully inspired by God. We believe the Bible is without error. Thirdly, we believe that the Bible is complete. That the Bible is complete. We believe that Scripture is sufficient in giving to us everything we need to live a godly life. And I want you to jot down a passage, Luke chapter 16, write that down. And I want to encourage you this week, read that passage under the The recognition that we believe the Bible is complete. And in this story, there's two men represented. And one of those men ends up with God and the other man ends up in hell. And the man who ends up in hell is is talking, he's having this dialogue. And he's pleading and saying, can I just come back and warn my family and tell them? And the response in summary is, they have the prophets... And the scriptures, if they don't listen to those, they're not going to listen even if someone comes back from the dead to tell them. It's a really, really challenging passage to think about. But we believe the Bible is complete. Luke chapter 16. Fourthly, we believe that the Bible is authoritative. Hebrews 4.12, which we read, says the word of God is what? Living and Active, everyone say living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of bone and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions. No one is hidden from his sight. Think about that for a second. And so when we get up here, we open the pages of scripture, we, we believe it's reliable, we believe it's authoritative in the way that we can come to it and say, this is how it applies to me and my life right now. When I'm struggling, when I'm having attention, I could come to the pages of Scripture and go, what do I need to do? Who do I need to be? Who do I need to become? And I could pursue that. So church, I want to challenge you today in light of all of these things. What do you believe about God's Word? Beyond that, what does how you treat God's Word say about what you believe about God's Word? You remember that missionary story that was shared during our song time together and this guy who just had one page of the Bible and clung to it because it's all he had. And I often wonder how we would treat scripture differently if we didn't have so much access to it. If we would become less apathetic towards the treasure that we hold in our hands that we can access at any time simply by pulling out a device or opening up our computer in all of this, what do you believe about God's word? And what does how you treat it say about how you, what you believe? The second point of application in question, do we seek to obey all that it requires? And the third point of application, do we have confidence in all that it promises? Church, I desire that we would each take a look seriously at how we treat God's word and understand The implications of this. If we really believe it's true. What is how we live saying about that? Does it say that we really believe it's true? Do we have confidence in all that it promises? All that it promises. Not just the pieces we like. I stress that again. Because that's a popular theme. And there's hard things in here church. And I'm convinced there's things in here that we won't fully understand or grasp until we stand before God but that doesn't mean this stuff's not important and so before we close with our last song I want to ask us to stand we're going to read a passage of scripture together Psalm 19 and the psalmist in this passage just expresses a reverence for God's word And so let's, let's speak this out together as one body. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Father, I pray that this would be the prayer of our heart. That we would indeed seek to embody and keep the truths of scripture That we would desire Not just to open the word and read it because that's what we're supposed to do But that we would treasure each word understanding the power and the implications of what your word says Lord that we wouldn't take for granted the access that we have to scripture But Lord ultimately That it would change our lives that it would transform us to be the followers of Christ that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for those who are here today that are wrestling with what is true. Can I really trust this? Maybe those who are looking for answers and are challenged and are struggling and going, God, I I don't know if you're real. I don't know if if, if you're where I'm supposed to turn. Lord, I pray that they would ask questions, that they wouldn't struggle alone. I pray against those who are suffering in silence, feeling that they can't turn anywhere. They don't know where to go. Lord, I pray today that you would bring us together as one body. That you would draw us to those outside of this building who desperately need to know the truth of your word. Father, do a work in us in light of what your scripture says that we would honor and glorify you above all else, we pray in Jesus' name.